You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. The unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Um, So, I hope you picked up on there's a word that was used several times that you probably don't see in other parts of Scripture, uh, and it's the word mystery. And um, if you go back further in chapter 2 in Ephesians, which we'll do in a little bit, you understand that this mystery is related to the fact that Gentiles can be included in God's people. Um, So in this section that we just read, Paul's simply saying, I've been given the great task of revealing the greatest mystery of all time, to all those who need to hear it and believe it. He says in uh, verse 6 that people from all the nations of the world would be full and complete partakers with the chosen people of God. So you know, if you think about the Old Testament, which was a come and see, right? So all the, the nations out there come and see what God has done, what he is doing for this collective group of people. And now in the New Testament, it's that go and tell, right? It's God's people now going out to bring God's people in. Um, So there's this flip, and that's part of what this great mystery is, is that at the coming of Christ, that concept of how to to see God, how to be included in what he's doing, has totally been flipped upside down. Um, In this section right here, Paul's saying that uh, this mystery's now been revealed. It wasn't fully made known before, but now it has been fully revealed in Christ Jesus, that Jesus is the fulfillment and the revealing of this mystery. Um, the only way to partake in this great mystery is through the gospel, uh, which we saw at the end of, of verse 6 right there. Uh, the beauty of this mystery now revealed is what we saw on display in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 13, it says, Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then further down in verses 19 19 through 21, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The revealing of this mystery in Christ is now happening through the preaching of the gospel. So the great mystery is that anyone can now be included, that those who were left out, those who were not included, can now, through Christ Jesus, in hearing the gospel, can now be included. That's the the whole mystery. And Paul is saying, I have been given the great task of going and sharing this great news, of going and preaching and putting to words this mystery that's now been revealed in Christ, through Jesus Christ, and going and sharing that good news and the gospel with others, um, which is you know what missions is about. Uh, in verses uh, 8 through 9 of what we looked at in chapter 3, Paul said, God is graciously using him to take the gospel to preach to the Gentiles 
the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then he says to bring to light the plan of this magnificent mystery. We've heard uh, in John this concept of light and how it reveals things and, and, and our tendency to want to hold things in darkness and keep them from keep them from having the light shown on them. And Paul is saying, I'm taking what wasn't known and through preaching and teaching and sharing, I'm bringing it out into the light, revealing that Christ is now the solution in, in bringing those who were alienated and left out and strangers with no hope, with no God, and now saying that in Christ you can be a partaker. In Christ you can be a child. You can be included now and that's the great mystery that um, through God's, the, the wisdom, the unsearchable wisdom and insight of God is now being revealed. Uh, Paul's very preaching of this mystery now revealed in Christ. His preaching is the very means that God is using to bring these Gentile believers in to become fellow citizens, members of the household of God. Paul's been set on a mission to teach, share, speak to the very people who were separated from Christ, to bring what was hidden to light. So now let's think about this global effort as it regards the church. So in verse 10 of the same section, it says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. So it's our great mission as a local body and as partners with others around the world to help go on this endeavor um, in whatever way uh, it looks like for us. So whether that is through uh, financial support, whether it's through prayerful support, or Lord willing at some point if it's even through our own members going and and being there. Um, And I don't want to disregard our own local missions efforts in our own workplaces, communities, even within our own families, right? That is the same Uh, opportunity that we all have, whether we're global or not, to share the the truth and the revealing of this mystery that we're all called to be partakers in, just like Paul was. Um, So we have been graciously given the privilege of bringing this mystery to light um, through any of these number of ways. Um, So it's not a take it or leave it. It's part of the the great commission that we've all been called to. Uh, So that Uh, Through the rest of our time, we're going to look at some more uh, information and some more resources, but I hope that through all of it, uh, each of you are stirred in a way. It's not often that we take time to focus specifically on missions and even the global effort, but I hope that each of you will see yourself as a believer included in the capital C Church and our efforts to make Christ known and our efforts to Uh, reveal the glory of God through taking the good news to people in every corner of the globe. Um, And I hope that you're encouraged to see that there are more avenues than you thought that there were for you to be a part of that, Um, because we are included in that. And when we think about people who are in other countries around the world, brothers and sisters, we're family with them, and we will enjoy eternity with them. And so let's not disregard their efforts or, uh, or, you know, be oblivious to what's happening, you know, around the world in the midst of our own kind of busyness that, that's going on. So I hope that today you're, you're stirred in that way and encouraged to think 
uh, beyond your own context uh, as we kind of journey through our time together today. Um, so I want to start with a couple of statistics, um, and these were uh, provided through the Joshua Project. You may have heard of them. Um, they're basically an organization that's focused on unreached people groups. They're very big on data uh, and categorizing people groups in different ways, and they're trying to just simply measure and, and uh, give resources and tools to people to understand where are the areas in the world where there are still people who have not heard of this mystery and that Christ is the revealing of the mystery. So um, a couple of statistics I want to show you uh, here. So the first one is this chart of sorts um, that you can see here. So it gives us both the percentage as well as the number of all people groups and shows us based on their level of whether that or not they've heard the gospel, um, you know, kind of where they fit inside of these categories. So, and in just a second, we'll take a little deeper look into what the actual categories mean. Um, but in any sense, red is often bad. Um, and so you can see that there are 42.5% of the people groups that Joshua Project has kind of grouped together have never actually heard of the gospel. Um, in a day and age where, and in an area like this where it just seems like, if anything, it's been overheard to where people have become callous to it, there are still people out there who have never heard of Jesus, of the gospel. Um, and then collectively, you see there, for those who have been significantly or partially um, have heard the gospel, it's less than that. If you add the percentages there uh, together, it's only 40.6%. So there are more people, more people groups, who have never heard of the gospel than there are people groups who have definitely heard of it or at least partially heard of it. So to me, that's eye-opening um, to understand that as kind of prevalent as we feel like Christianity is. Um, and so that knowledge of the need that is out there, I hope, you know, makes us more aware of the need to continue to support efforts, to continue to pray for efforts um, that are out there to take the gospel to these areas where people have never heard of the gospel before. Um, so another kind of deeper view here is another table, and I'm sorry for those in the back. Um, it's a little uh, small, the text there, but you can, there are different levels there. It's broken down a little bit more, uh, and I'll just read for you. So the unreached, it, it says in the description there, that few evangelicals and few who identify as Christians live in that area, little if any history of Christianity. Um, so in the criteria column, it says uh, there's less than or equal to 2% of evangelicals, those who are sharing the gospel, or uh, there's less than or equal to 5% of even professing Christians in, that, in those areas. So uh, the slide before didn't have the population, so we're seeing here that that's estimated to be about 3.2 billion people who fall into that category. So um, it's hard for me to think in billions or trillions, um, even million, millions. Um, so, I mean, that's just a lot of people, right? 3.2 billion people who fall into those categories of never having heard of the gospel, never having um, the mystery revealed to them, um, which is a, a, a lot of people there. Uh, the other kind of criteria there, um, some of them, uh, the yellow category, it's the superficially reach. It says few evangelicals, but many who identify as Christians. Uh, they're in great need of spiritual renewal 
and commitment to biblical faith. So this could be an area um, like Europe, who for a long time has deep roots in Christianity, but in many regards has fallen asleep um, to the richness and the truth of what the gospel is. Or it could be um, even areas where we see the um, prosperity gospel being shared, which is not the true version of the gospel. It's a health and wellness come to Jesus so that you can get what you want as it regards this world and, and this lifetime right now. Um, so just because you know Christianity exists in certain areas doesn't mean that it's actually the true gospel. Um, and so the Joshua Project, they're doing a lot to kind of capture this information for us. And um, like I mentioned before, in a time where we would kind of just be oblivious to what's happening around the world, I think it's important for us to be reminded of the need that still exists in many areas of the world. And then lastly, I wanted to show you, this is a little bit more helpful in terms of where these people are located. Um, So this is a map, and each of the individual dots that you see on the map represent an unreached people group. Um, And then based on the color of the dot that you see there, um, that correlates with the different categories that we were seeing um, on the previous slide. So um, that rectangle that you see in the middle there, for those of you who are familiar with um, just, uh, you know, missions efforts, that's called the 1040 window. Um, And it's called that because it's 10 degrees north and 40 degrees um, north uh, latitude of the equator. Um, So, but it kind of captures, you can see there, a very dense area of the world where there are people who've never heard of the gospel. Um, These people groups who, um, it's either uh, very hostile to Christianity, um, and there's been uh, very, maybe, uh, efforts have been met with hostility um, and persecution, uh, but an area that uh, desperately needs the gospel to be shared and desperately needs uh, missionary efforts to go and to share the truth in, inside of that area. I have a couple of numbers as it regards that 1040 window right there. There's approximately 5.2 billion individuals um, that live inside of that area. Uh, 69% of these people groups are considered unreached. Uh, which comes to a population of about 3.1 billion people. Um, so essentially 70% of what falls inside of that rectangle right there are people who've never heard of the gospel before. Um, uh, the largest unreached people groups in this area, um, and I'm probably not going to do a good job of pronouncing this, but the, 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 and I probably should have practiced this beforehand uh, in the mirror, uh, the Sheikh, the Yadava, the Turks, I've heard of them, the Moroccan Arabs, uh, the Jat and Burmese, um, and I'm not even going to try on the last one there. Um, so, But those are the largest groups that are here. So in terms of just quantity of those individual people groups that exist there. Um, and I just want that to soak in for you. I mean, those are people, right? They're not they're represented as dots here, but they're people. They're people who, like me and you, have families. People that, like me and you, they worry about, you know, safety for their families, or they're worried about where they're going to eat. They're worried about clothing. Um, They're worried about disease. Uh, All things that concern us, right? Um, These are people. They're 
image bearers of God, uh, and if you know missionary efforts through the goodness and sovereignty of God aren't um, put forth in this area, their eternity will look very different than those of us who have become partakers uh, in the gospel of, of Jesus. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's easy for us to just talk about it and to, um, to be interested in it too, but it's one thing, I think, to kind of let the reality of it sink in, um, that if any of those, you know, families came in here, um, that, you know, we would love on them just like any other family, um, that we would care for them just like any other family, um, so I hope that just kind of looking at this and, and some of the data that we've provided has been helpful uh, in that regard. Uh, I want to take you through a couple of different resources. So hopefully by now you're, I've at least um, kind of gotten your interest and you seem intrigued uh, around how you can be more mindful and involved. Uh, a couple of books that I would recommend to you. Uh, we've talked about the first one before. It's the Let the Nations Be Glad um, so it's by John Piper. This is one that Daniel, Marcus, and I read together. I think a number of you in here have probably at least heard of it or read some of it as well. Um, but it's just a great missions-focused book tied to God's glory um, and an effort to make uh, missions as they go out to turn people into worshipers of God um, and, and really kind of takes away. It's not very tactical in its efforts, but more just theological and and I would say even very um, uh, worshipful in a lot of regards. So I would definitely recommend this book. And then the uh, Insanity of God, that's one that Daniel and Marcus have also read, and it's, it's filled with stories of persecuted believers um, in different areas of the world um, and just their perseverance through that persecution to trust on Jesus in the face of kind of what they're facing on a daily basis from everything from, you know, just being um, kind of excluded from their family all the way to actually being killed for what they believe. So uh, these are two books that I'd highly recommend um, if you're interested in kind of just having your heart stirred even further as it relates to missions. Uh, and then a couple of other just resources that I would also uh, recommend to you that I've spent some time looking at and referencing. Uh, you may have heard of the Voice of the Martyrs. Um, so they have a couple different outlets there. You see they have a website with books and resources. There's an app you can look at that gives you kind of a daily people group uh, to pray for uh, in areas where Christians are experiencing persecution. They have a podcast. There's a YouTube channel and then also a magazine, a monthly magazine that they send out that you can subscribe to. So um, a lot of great resources there as it relates to the persecuted church that you can use individually or if you have a family that you can reference and, um, and uh, again, just have your attention turned back to what our brothers and sisters are experiencing on a regular basis. This other one we talked about already, Joshua Project, so they have their own website you can go to. You can get more data that's been provided uh, beyond what I've shared with you. Uh, they have a podcast as well. Uh, and then a prayer app. They have different uh, outlets on social media where you can also kind of follow them and some of the data that they're sharing or stories that they have that they uh, are posting as well. So that's a great resource, um, again, for you individually or if you have a family to be able to spend some time as a family. If you have your own um, kind of Bible study time that you do together, you could pull this up. 
make it one of the days of the week that y'all um, kind of focus on these efforts. So, and this again is tied to not the persecuted church as much as just unreached people groups around the world. Uh, and then this last one that I have in, in terms of just kind of external resources, and I'm sure that there are plenty of other great resources out there as well. I wanted to kind of focus on a couple. This is Open Doors USA. So also a website, app, um, a, um, a magazine online that they post bi-monthly. They have a podcast, YouTube, and social media as well. Um, for each of these, I kind of share just a screenshot of what the app looks like inside of there. So Open Doors, they'll do articles on different areas and stories of believers who are going through persecution in different ways so um, if anything I hope that one of these I don't know maybe you jotted it down or maybe you already have it like me so I have some of these apps but you know I don't go to them and so you know it's just a a matter of kind of getting back into a routine again um, and using those Uh, I hope that it will be just an easy way for you to get connected so don't disregard the opportunity that you have to to read through this and to lift these, you know, different needs and these different individuals, these different people groups up in prayer uh, and be a part of what God's doing uh, through all that they're going through and experiencing together. Um, So for us, kind of as a local church, there are a couple of other things you can be um, thinking about or or praying through. So at the beginning of the year next year, um, we're going to have like um, just a book club of sorts um, we're, Daniel's going to lead us through uh, a book on missions. I don't know if it'll be one of the two that we saw or not. Uh, but also around that time of year, people like to start resolutions. Um, so this would be a great way for us to have some accountability together through reading through some type of book focused on missions. Um, we'll have some time set up where we can kind of share different thoughts as we're reading through it and even meet up at different times, kind of talk through things together. So for me, that accountability piece is really helpful. If I know that somebody else is reading through it, then I'm going to make sure I make the time to read through it. So that's helpful for me. If that's something that you want to incorporate in your own kind of uh, daily habits, um, then uh, just be on the lookout for a post coming up around the beginning of the year. And uh, we're going to kind of join in that together. And then the other thing is um, just for the missions directions for us, missions direction for us as a church, Um, So the leadership, we usually meet at the beginning of the year and kind of have a time where we kind of recalibrate on a lot of things. And so the beginning of the year, we're going to be thinking through, you know, with the McMurray's coming back, what does it look like for us moving forward in the different uh, individuals, families, or um, missions organizations that we support? What does that look like for us for 2022? And would just really appreciate your prayers for us as we think through that. And, um, you know, what are those, those needs for us specifically as a church that, you know, um, make sense for us and give us the opportunity to be included both uh, financially but then also prayerfully um, with these different individuals. So we've been blessed over the years to have, um, you know, many different groups and uh, individuals that we've been able to support and, uh, and encourage. And uh, I hear from lots of those groups that this body of believers in particular is very is is a strong encouragement for them and serves for them in in many ways as um, just a a reason for them to continue in their efforts for how mindful we are Um, so uh, be just praying for us as we put that on our list to review at the beginning at the beginning of the year and what the lord would have for us to focus on for uh for this coming year um so we're going to switch gears for just a for the, for this next portion. Um, if those 
you may be aware that today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and um, this is act, this is happening happening globally. So this isn't just something that one ministry is doing. Um, this is something that's happening across ministries, uh, across um, churches uh, around the globe. Um, and it's this day, November the 7th, a day dedicated to people praying for the persecuted church around the world. So if you're uh, connected with Voice of the Martyrs or um, the Open Doors USA, you've probably seen on your feed that they have uh, posted today just different things to be praying for. I think, in fact, and we'll look at this in just a little bit, the Voice of the Martyrs, every hour they have a specific uh, person or family for you to be praying for around things that they're going through. Um, and it's just tied to today. So um, today's a, a special day in that regard because we get to be a part of what God's doing globally as it pertains to the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters around the world and, and what they're facing. Um, so uh, with that, the uh, just kind of where I'd like for us to start is thinking about what's happening in real terms uh, around the world today, so I've just kind of I have some different scenarios here. So, um, and these are real life scenarios for our brothers and sisters on any given day. So, just imagine um, there's a woman in India. She watches her as her sister's uh, taken off by Hindu nationalists, and she doesn't know if her sister's still alive or not. A man in North Korea in a prison camp um, is being shaken back to consciousness just so that he can be beaten up again. Uh, a woman in Nigeria runs for her life who's escaped from Boko Haram, who kidnapped her, and she's pregnant and knows that when she returns home, her community will reject her and her baby. Uh, this is, these are real-life scenarios, right? Um, a church group is headed to their church's sanctuary after enjoying an Easter Sunday meal together in Sri Lanka, and a bomb blast goes off, taking the lives of several of their members. Some of these things are, are true things that have happened. And for others around the world, these are things that will happen um, for them. And I have sugar-coated even those scenarios um, and, and the, just the depth and level, I think, of the realization of what our brothers and sisters go through around the world. Uh, I hope that that it's something that brings just a, a, a level of um, uh, somberness, but then also a level of encouragement um, as God is using those different scenarios in their lives, but also in the lives of those who are actually persecuting them um, today. Um, those, Even to talk about those things are hard to even say um, for me, but... How can I disregard the reality of that when it's somebody's um, actual situation that's playing out um, somewhere around the world? I had a couple of statistics I wanted to show you, and this is from Open Doors USA. Uh, it says, just in the last year, there have been over 340 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 4,277 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And one thing that 
Open Doors shared uh, along with that. They said, uh, the numbers here are heartbreaking, but they don't tell the whole story. Because in James chapter 1, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And they said that that joy is what they see when they hear and work with Christians all over the world who suffer because they serve Jesus. God cares for his people, and he will never leave or forsake them. Um, so now I'm going to go through just a couple of prayer requests, uh, some that the Voice of the Martyrs posted this morning, actually. Um, I'm going to go through those, and you can read through them as I kind of go through. I'll just share some highlights for you. But then we're going to take some time to actually pray for these individuals and families. And, um, and then I'll kind of close this out at the end. So, um, yeah, I want to invite you as I'm sharing just kind of to retain some of the information that you're hearing so that you can lift these folks up in prayer. So um, the first one is for a pastor in China. Uh, he's going to spend the next five and a half years in prison because he refused to let the government put patriotic slogans in his church. Uh, it's a church of 700 to 800 people. Uh, another one is a family in Laos who are looking at jail time after becoming believers, giving their lives to Christ. Um, it says the village leader called the police on them and uh, looks like they are probably going to be put in prison for it. Um, so that's a family in Laos. Uh, this is an older lady. Her name's Din. She lives in Vietnam. Uh, her uh, members of her church took her to the local hospital because uh, she had a serious illness going on, and the hospital refused to treat her because she was a Christian. Um, Hanifa, um, she's a Christian convert from Islam. Um, she lives in Uganda. She has five children. Um, her husband has uh, kicked her, her and the kids out of the house, um, and they're asking that you pray for uh, provision and peace of mind for Hanifa, but also for her husband to come to know Jesus as well. Um, so that's Din and Hanifa with her five kids. Uh, and then the last two that I have here, um, Benoit in Benin. Uh, he became a believer, and then his family started to uh, kick him out because they were committed to another religion. Um, just pray for Benoit that he'll have support that he needs um, with his local community of believers. And then lastly, uh, believers in uh, it says Manini Tasha in Nigeria, uh, some militants who actually killed one of the, the people in that area and then kidnapped some others. Um, just pray for the safe returns of those who were taken and for the family of the, uh, the man there who was killed. So um, those are the six opportunities that we have this morning. I'm going to give us a couple minutes to just pray for any of those um, that I've mentioned there, and then I'm going to close us out in prayer. So I'll give us um, just a couple minutes. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for each of these individuals and these families, uh, these church members on other parts of the world, on other continents. Father, we thank you that they have been included, that they are partakers in the gospel of Jesus. 
Father, we pray for each of them that you would give them the strength to continue, that you would give them the provision that they need. Um, But Lord, most of all, that you will embolden them to continue to proclaim Christ, that they would continue to lean on your goodness, your sovereignty, as they continue to experience uh, persecution. Father, we're thankful that you promise that you are near to the brokenhearted, um, that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We thank you that this world is not the end. Um, that as we saw in First Peter, we are exiles, we're sojourners passing through. And that this world is not the end, it's not everything that we'll ever have. Um, but Father, we are headed towards a destination. And for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are um, being terrorized, who are being um, harmed, who are being left out, cast away, Father, we pray that you would comfort them with that truth and reality, that that it won't be long and the coming one will come. And you'll wipe every tear away. There'll be no more pain or suffering. Lord, we pray that through what is happening in all these different scenarios, that you would continue to bring more and more people to Christ. That through the example of what our brothers and sisters are experiencing, that their persecutors won't be able to get out of their mind the perseverance, the faithfulness, the resilience of these people who claim that they have a Savior, who claim that they have true peace and comfort in a man who is also God. So, Lord, continue to to use our church body in all the ways you desire for us to be used. Lord, as individuals and as families, may we be ever mindful of what happens globally on a day-to-day basis. Allow us not to be callous in our own uh, peaceful times here, but to understand that we live on a daily basis on a battleground that's being fought moment by moment um, for your glory. May we step up to that call and live faithfully uh, in that regard. And may we do what we can to be a part of these efforts that are happening around the world. So thank you for the privilege to be able to to take time and lift up our brothers and sisters in this way to be reminded or continue to work on us and in us during our time today. And uh, thank you for your goodness to us and the opportunity we have to be able to do this together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do a couple of things to... um wrap up our time together uh, with our application Sunday, one being to uh, recap and look at what we've been doing over the past um, I guess seven, eight weeks, Um, but then also looking at the last section of Ephesians chapter 6, which we haven't covered yet, so we're going to look at uh, verses 21 through 24 here. Uh, at the end of our time as well. Um, but if you have your Bibles, let's actually start in Ephesians chapter 5. 
um, since our last application Sunday, we have covered uh, both chapter 5 and chapter 6, and I want to read through uh, portions of that together as we just hit, hit some quick highlights from where we've been over the last several weeks, and then I want to, as we've started doing for application Sundays, basically give you uh, three to four things to remember, three to four things to do in response to what we've heard uh, as a part of that application. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so we talked uh, several weeks ago about what it looks like to imitate God, that as believers were called to imitate him like a child imitating a father by walking in love and are to remain motivated in showing love to others by reflecting upon the love shown to them by the Father. And so it's the, the love of God that drives us to love other people. And so we reflect on God's love for us, and then we seek to love others in a similar way, and we don't let their love or lack of love be what shapes whether we love them ourselves, right? And so um, the idea here is that we imitate God because he's loved us, we turn and love other people. And so we saw that in the golden rule back in Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount, that it's not the treatment of others that drives how we treat them. It's the treatment that God has given to us. That's what drives how we treat other people. And so that led into um, verses three through six. And it says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are, set, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so here we said that believers are called to imitate God, like a child imitating father by walking in purity. And we're to avoid immorality even being mentioned with our name by reflecting upon the coming judgment on that behavior. For our kids, Christians are always to be separated from sinful behavior. And so we talked about the fact that we're to avoid association with evil so that we can avoid being accused of evil ourselves. That the way that we engage with the lost world is to be so separate that we don't get caught up in it and that we're not associated with it to where we could be accused of it. Instead, we're to be known for our gratitude, the idea that we're to be giving thanksgiving uh, for the situations that we're in, uh, not trying to make light of situations or bringing humor uh, in, in a point when it's not appropriate, particularly that crude and, and sexual type humor, that we're not to be known for that. Instead, we're to be known for our thanksgiving. And, and it's also a reminder to us that we don't bend on things that God clearly says are very important. So we had talked about, too, that we live in a day and age and culture where we're, we're, we're told to be very progressive in our thinking when it comes to uh, sex and marriage and relationships, very progressive in, in what love is and, and who can love each other and how they can love each other. And we said instead of being progressive in that, we're to see that we are progressing towards judgment, um, that God continues to take these things very seriously and we're to be pure in the ways that we walk as Christians. Um, for the next section, uh, we kind of grouped uh, 5, 7 through 14 uh, really is this idea of walking in light, and we did it in two, uh, two different weeks. And so I want to read to you um, verses 7 through 14. It says, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, 
For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As a Christian, the intimacy that we enjoy in relationships with others should be determined by our desire to walk in light and to separate from darkness. And when Christians who were once darkness live out their new identity as light, they not only please the one who made them light, they also expose and possibly even dispel the opposing darkness around them. For our kids, we said that a Christian's best friend should be other Christians who are seeking to follow Jesus, that we're called to be light by living obediently to God. And so it was in this section that we talked about how uh, we used to not only be in darkness, we were darkness, right? And so this is a, um, a nod to that uh, sinful nature that we're born with, that we're not just born uh, in darkness, we are darkness, that there's nothing good inside of us, and that it's only by God's grace through the work of Christ that we can be saved. And so we've been saved from darkness, made to be light, and our walk should now reflect that. Uh, we're to seek to discover what's pleasing to him over anything else or anyone else. We're to commit to what is good and right and true. And we talked about how we're not to just disassociate with darkness in such a way where we have nothing to do with it. Instead, we're to engage the darkness with the hope of transforming it, seeing it brought to light as well. And so our deepest uh, communities, our deepest friendships and relationships have to be rooted in uh, people who are also trying to follow Christ as well, whether it's the spouses that we pursue. So boyfriends and girlfriends ought to be people who are uh, Christians, who want to follow Jesus, who, who love Jesus like we love Jesus. Uh, people that we're going to join ourselves to uh, for the deepest levels of human intimacy. These are people who follow Jesus. Uh, our closest friendships, people that we're going to find uh, our, our, um, our joy and, and, and you know, hobbies and uh, friendships and fun, like all these things should be wrapped up with people who are Christians, uh, people who are going to lead us in the right type of wisdom. Again, not that we don't have friends who are unbelievers, because we absolutely do. Um, you know, as Adam sharing about the idea of, of missions, and while we think globally about missions, we very much have a role to play missionally here in our own context, and so we need those people who don't know Jesus. We engage with those people who don't know Jesus with the purpose of helping to bring them to Jesus. And so uh, it's a matter of not being associated with what they are doing in the darkness, but certainly being associated with them in such a way where we can bring them to the light. Verse 15 of chapter 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We talked here in this section that Christians use their time wisely by pursuing a deeper knowledge of God's will in order to be controlled by the Holy Spirit made evident by worshipful singing, ongoing thanksgiving, and humble submission to others. For our kids, Christians are to be under the control of the Holy Spirit by spending time in the Word. He uses the comparison about being controlled by the Spirit versus being controlled by alcohol. 
Um, and he says that we're not to be controlled by some other type of substance. We're to, we're to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We do that through being in God's Word, submitting ourselves to God's Word, whether that's through uh, the ways that we listen and pay attention when, the God, when God's Word is being taught, uh, how we intentionally pursue a deeper knowledge of Him through our own time in God's Word. We submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. He controls us. And when that's happening, it leads to this overflow of worshipful singing. When we come together, uh, we're not just monotonously going through the singing of songs. We're, we're here to express what's been uh, happening in our hearts throughout the week, ways that we've been changed. Um, and, and to help you with that, I mean, I know Tyson's very intentional to select songs that we sing that he believes coincides with what we're going to be learning together on a Sunday morning. So if you're faithfully reading ahead in the text, reading through whatever book of the Bible we're studying through, um, and, you're, and you're challenging yourself with that, and the Holy Spirit's teaching you through that, we come together, we're going to sing lyrics that are directly tied to uh, what we're reading in that book of the Bible at that time. And so it can be an overflow of worship if you allow yourself to spend time worshiping leading up to that. Um, when we're controlled by the Spirit, we're thankful for our circumstances and situations, the ways that God's providing for us in the midst of it. Um, we're also uh, willing to humbly submit ourselves to serve others, which is what we're called to do, and we'll talk more about that as we wrap up our book together. Um, that leads us into uh, chapter 5, verse 22. And this is where we got into covering big sections of it um, as we wrap up this book because I wanted us to see thematically the idea of how we're to submit and serve other people in the different roles that we play. So it starts in verse 22 with, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, in this section, we must filter relationships that impact our family most through our relationship with Christ, because the fulfillment of our roles in those relationships has a direct impact on others' understanding of the gospel. For our kids, our relationship with Christ should impact how we interact with others. So what we're, what we're seeing in this section is that we all have roles that we play. We interact with others in those roles. Some of us are in these roles now. Some of us will be in these roles down the road, right? So you might be sitting here and you're not currently a husband or a wife, right? And so it's not that you can just say, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not a husband or a wife. Most likely, everybody in here is going to at some point become a husband or wife if you're not already, Right? And the idea here is that in that role, you have a role to play, not just as a husband or a wife, but in picturing the gospel to other people. The way that you act as a husband, the way that you act as a wife is to picture the gospel to other people. Right? The ways that we submit and serve and love one another is to picture the ways that Christ and the church do so towards each other as well. He goes on to talk about children and parents. Children, honor your parents as the Lord, for this is right. Honor your, your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. 
that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our marriages picture the gospel, but our families are to be training grounds in the gospel. Right? Our children learn to obey God by learning to obey parents. Which means our, as parents, we have to teach our kids to obey. And as, as kids, you need to understand and see that by being obedient to your parent, you are being obedient to God. Which means the flip side's true. To be disobedient to your parent is to be disobedient to God. We don't get to choose our parents. God chooses those for us. And then he gives the instructions and doesn't quantify. He doesn't say, hey, if you like the parents that I gave you, then be obedient to them. If you like the parents that I chose for you, love them. If you don't, then you're off the hook. No, he says you obey your parents. You show reverence and, 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 and respect and love and obedience to your parents. By doing so, you're learning to obey God, right? Um, parents, we have a responsibility to see that it's not about just making our house well. It's not about just keeping our kids in line so that it does well for us. We have a bigger responsibility to teach them the things of God, to bring them up in a way where they understand the discipline and instruction, not of our house only, but of the Lord too. And then in verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Marriages picture the gospel. Um, our families are training grounds for the gospel, and then our jobs are to be application for the gospel. We're to do our jobs as though we are working for Christ as a way of worship. If we're in a spot where we get to lead employees because we're a manager or a supervisor or something, we are to lead your employee. We're to lead our employees like Christ would, as well. Um, man, when you when you read this passage and think about this, this is, has huge implications for our daily tasks and our daily roles that sometimes feel uh, mundane and monotonous and without purpose, right? Some of us may be work jobs where we don't always see like, what's the bigger picture here? Why am I doing this? Is, is it more than just for a paycheck? And the idea here is that we do it as we're doing it to Christ. We're doing it in a way where others will see our efforts and the work that we provide and be drawn to Christ because we, we work differently than, than someone else. We work differently than someone who doesn't know Christ, Okay, um, so the idea here is that we work with an attitude of worship and we do it not as being a people pleaser, uh, but being one who is worshiping Christ in the ways that we serve. Um, and I'm just going to tell you, as somebody who supervises and leads others, it's pretty obvious the difference between the two. I can pretty much tell you the teachers who do enough to get by or do enough to please me and those who really approach their jobs with an attitude of worship. So uh, for, our, for our young kids in here, particularly our teenagers who are maybe stepping into the workplace for the very first time, um, and you're working a job that maybe isn't like your, 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 your job that you want to work for the rest of your life, but, but it is something that's giving you some money right now, I'm just telling you, if you'll approach your job with an attitude of worshiping Christ through it, not just fulfilling the task that your boss has given you, it will most likely lead to greater things down the road. 
um, when we work in such a way where we do it not to please man, but to please God, it typically leads to greater things in the workplace. I'm far more prone to promote within those people that I know are not just working to please me, they're working to please somebody greater than me. Um, because that translates into great work. Great work, whether I'm there or not there. If everybody, if everybody bought into this, jobs like mine wouldn't be near as necessary. Um, I tell people sometimes that are sitting in my office this, I spend the bulk of my day trying, trying to get people to do their jobs, right? If I could just get people to do their jobs, then I could actually do my job. But much of my job is trying to get people to do their jobs or helping them fix the fact that they didn't do their jobs well. It's just part of the sin problem is, is we're selfish and we're lazy and, and we, we don't follow through on things like we should and we don't do our jobs well. We don't do it as an act of worship. But man, if we would, if we would buy into this idea of doing our jobs as an act of worship, we would actually eliminate some people's jobs because some people actually have to be hired to get people to do their jobs because they won't do it without it, right? We're to, we're to work in such a way. We're to be different in the work environment. We shouldn't need a supervisor. We shouldn't meet, need a manager to back check us to make sure we're doing it. And man, I would, I would hope that our church, those that already have jobs, that are already in careers, we would be showing that. For our teenagers who are stepping into jobs soon and looking to bigger jobs down the road, that you would learn that right now, that you would set a different example than what the norm is. That whatever job gives you, whatever job God gives you, whatever job you're working right now, that you would work it in such a way where it's, a, it's, an, it's an act of worship and not just for a paycheck. We serve one another. We submit to one another in the midst of the roles that God has given to us. Um, and then uh, the last section that we looked at, which was last week, the, the idea of the whole armor of God in verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Last week, we talked about how our church must be mindful of the battle against us as we seek to carry out the orders of this letter by being intentional to arm ourselves with the resources we need while praying for the effectiveness of those resources as well. Paul talks about the fact that we're in a battle, and it's a spiritual battle, not a physical battle, which requires supernatural support. If we're to win the, the battle that the enemy is raging against us, the battle for our minds, whether we're going to trust God and, and believe his promises or are we going to do things that we want to do or are we going to live the way that we want to live, for us to win that war, it's going to require supernatural support. And he gives us this armor to, to, to put on to, to withstand these attacks, the ideas of truth and righteousness and faith, salvation, the Holy Spirit, and then taking those things and being active to push the gospel forward. Right? 
uh, Paul challenges us, as we've done today uh, with Adam's leading, to pray, to pray for missionaries, to pray for those who are laboring for the gospel, that they would be bold in their proclamation of it. Ambassadors, even in chains, those that we've prayed for this morning that are in persecuted situations where they are uh, bound and, and imprisoned for their faith and for sharing the gospel, that they wouldn't stop, that we would pray that they would continue to do so, as Paul did, as Paul set an example, that he would continue to proclaim boldly the mystery of the gospel. Paul challenges us to do all that we can to stand firm. I left you with that challenge last week. Have you done everything that you can to stand firm in your faith? Have you, have you labored in such a way where you have done all that you can to stand firm? And that brings us to this last section that we have not looked at yet, and that's verses 21 through 24. And so I want to I wanna look at that as we close out the book of Ephesians today. It says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's look at this together today. As we close this book, we must, be, we must respond by seeking to bring peace, love, and encouragement to others as we continue growing in our faith and loving Jesus more and more on the grounds of the grace he has extended to us. As we close this book and we seek to respond in obedience to this book, what we're being called to here is to bring peace, love, and encouragement to others as we continue growing in our faith, as we continue loving Jesus more and more on the grounds of the grace that he has given to us. For our kids, we need to encourage others by how we grow in our faith in God. Let me give you a couple things here um, before we wrap this up. Uh, first, there's, a, there's another character that's mentioned here that we haven't seen in the book of Ephesians, Tychicus. He's an individual who served with Paul, and he's mentioned in uh, at least four other places in the New Testament. Uh, and he's always serving when he's mentioned. In Acts 20, verse 4, he's accompanying Paul uh, as a servant on one of his missionary journeys. In Colossians 4, 7, he is being told that he is being sent to the church at Coloss, much for the same reasons that he's being sent to the church at Ephesus here, to encourage and to inform them about how Paul is doing. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4.12, there's a reference to him being sent to Ephesus. And then in Titus 3.12, there's another reference to him being sent. So he's obviously an individual who Paul values greatly. Uh, he's a close, uh, close uh, confidant. He's a close minister to the gospel, uh, a great friend to Paul. He most likely delivered the letters to the church at Ephesus and to Colossus. Uh, but I want you to see what Paul's purpose is in sending him and how it ties into us as well as believers. Talks about him coming to update everybody on how Paul is doing with the purpose of encouraging their hearts. Oh, I didn't put these in the notes. Um, two things I wanted to give you. Number one, Paul desires for their hearts to be encouraged. And he does so by telling them about what is going on with him. Paul desires for their hearts to be encouraged, and he does so by telling them about what is going on with him. Now, think about the report that Tychicus is going to bring, right? Because the ways that we think about being encouraged, and maybe even the ways that we were prone to pray for these individuals this morning, is for circumstances to be good. 
Just think about that for a second. Most of us were probably prone, if we were praying along with Adam, we were prone to pray for individuals to be released, for circumstances to be adjusted and changed according to what? According to what we think is good on this earth. We already know what's going on with Paul. He's already kind of told them, right? What's going on with Paul? He's in prison, and he's not getting out. Which doesn't seem like what you would want to promote in a church service as people come together as a means of encouragement. Hey, guys, we're so glad that you're here and gathered with us. We want to tell you more about Christianity because it is this new thing, and, and you guys have responded to it. We're trying to follow Jesus who left, and we hope that he's coming back at some point. Um, here's some real great encouragement to you. One of the best of the best of the best of us is in prison, and he's probably going to die there. I hope that encourages you today as you leave and, and go about your business. Uh, it's very likely that you're going to end up in the, same, in the same spot. It's like, I thought this was the encouraging part of the service, right? Paul says, I've sent this guy to you to tell you all about my persecution. And I hope that encourages you. For us, we would look at that and say, don't, don't mention that. Don't mention that. Like, that can be for an elders meeting, or maybe the deacons can talk about that. Let's don't talk, to the, let's don't talk about that to, to new believers. Let's don't talk about that to our average believers. Let's, let's, don't, let's don't bring that up, because that's going to be a discouragement, not an encouragement. I put in my notes here, notice that the encouragement isn't coming from the circumstances, but instead from how he is doing in those circumstances. The encouragement isn't coming about his circumstances, it's coming from how he is doing in those circumstances, right? The encouragement isn't that he is being released from prison. The encouragement is that Paul's faith is not wavering even in the worst circumstances, and that is encouraging. That is encouraging, right? At our uh, C group this past week, when we were talking um, through First Peter, um, we were, you know, one, the question that we were discussing was, what are some gifts that we have, and how do we use those gifts? And I kind of flipped it for our group, and I said, you guys may be hesitant because it feels like you're promoting yourself by talking about the gifts that you have and how you use those gifts. I said, let's flip it and let's talk about gifts that you see in others or ways that God is using others uh, in our church. And so we just kind of spent some time going around and identifying gifts and abilities and ways that God is using other people to encourage people in our church. And I shared that uh, for me, um, Jason and Elizabeth Flowers have been such an encouragement over this past year, two years plus, where they have gone through trial after trial after trial. And the encouragement isn't that God has removed some of those trials because he hasn't removed them all. Like they're continuing to go through trial after trial after trial. And I told him, I said, you guys have a, a gift in that your faith has remained strong and has been strengthened in the midst of these trials. And you're able to share that whenever we have times of discussion. I said, that's an encouragement to me because as you go through these trials, to see how you are doing in those circumstances, that your faith is growing, not waning, that you're trusting God, not doubting God. Even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult, it's an encouragement to me to know that you're still turning to him. You're still following him. You're still loving him. That's why Paul sends him. Paul has written about it briefly. He's given them a lot of theological discussion. And then he says, I've, I've sent Tychicus because I want him to verify what I've said to you, that yes, I'm in prison, 
Yes, my circumstances stink. Yes, you would never choose these for yourself, but my faith is strong in the midst of these circumstances. I'm not wavering about the goodness of God. I am trusting him more, right? Paul desires for their hearts to be encouraged, not about his circumstances, but how he is in his circumstances. And then secondly, Paul desires their ongoing experience of peace, love, faith, and grace. He prays these things and asks for these things for them. Peace be to the brothers. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. There's nothing more, one commentator said, there's nothing more revealing about us than what we wish for those who we love most. He's not wishing for good health. He's not wishing for material possessions. He's wishing for them peace. A peace that we've talked about so much in this book. The peace that we have with God the peace that we can have in this life because of our relationship with God, the peace that we're to have with others as we pursue unity because we're made up of the church of God together. This idea of love, understanding the deep love of God that he has for us and that deep love that God has for us leading us to love others well. This idea of faith that we believe in the things mentioned in this book and that we would trust them uh, throughout the remainder of our life the grace that's been given to us, which is the basis for everything that we enjoy about this book. All these truths that we've seen in Ephesians are by God's grace that they've been given to us. It's these two ideas of faith and love, though, that I want to I wrap up with because in Ephesians 1, 15 through 16, when we first started this study, we highlighted the fact that these people were known for their faith and love. Like Paul says, I rejoice over the fact that you're known for your faith and love. You have great theology and you love people. But as I shared with you on our anniversary day several weeks ago, it's in the book of Revelation where their faith has continued, but their love has started to, to wane. Their, their love has started to, um, to not keep pace with their faith. The challenge for us as a church is that we would continue in our deep theology and love for theology and love for God, but that we would continue to strive to love each other. For our church to continue, both are necessary. It's this idea of love incorruptible. It's a, it's a love that doesn't stop, but it's a right type of love that doesn't stop. It's not corrupted by the things of this world. It remains true and pure in the knowledge of God. So through our study in Ephesians, we've seen God's love for us. But the question that I would want to really press in on for you today is, do you love Christ? He loves us. Do, do we love him, though? And we need to all answer that question. Do we have a love for Christ, right? Uh, because we can believe things about Jesus, but not necessarily love Jesus. The demons do that, right? So for some of us, we've been raised in church, and, and we know all the Bible stories, and we know all about Jesus, and so we believe some of these things, but we don't necessarily love him in those things. That's what Paul is wanting here for these people. And he says that peace and love and faith, these are for those people who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. All the identity things that we've talked about in this book, they are only true for you if you love Christ. Love him enough to leave the darkness. Love him enough to serve him by serving others. That's the type of love that's being described here. Do we love Jesus in that way? Let me give you the things to remember and the things to do. Number one. 
three things to remember. Our treatment of others is to be directly shaped by our treatment from God. Don't ever forget that. The ways that we treat others is to be shaped by the ways that we have been treated by God, not by others. We don't treat others how they treat us. We treat others how God has treated us. And that's with grace and mercy and love. For our kids, we treat others like God treats you. And if you would live by that, if I would live that by that, if we would all live by that, imagine the change that would, would happen around us in our context. For us to love and to treat others in the ways that God has treated us. And it's, that's a radical difference in the way the world operates. Number two, our engagement with the lost world is missional rather than relational. Our engagement with the lost world is missional rather than relational. So, absolutely, we have to have a role to play in the darkness. We absolutely have to know people who are still in darkness. But we know them and we interact with them for missional purposes, not relational purposes. Right? It's why, it's why Paul tells us that uh, for, our young, for our young men and our young women, we don't pursue uh, intimate relationships for marriage with those who walk in darkness. Right? There, there's no role for that. There's no place for that. Um, we don't enjoy best friendships with people either who are in darkness. It's part of what it means to come out of the darkness and into the light. But we don't abandon those people. We don't judge those people. We don't stop loving those people. Instead, we go to those people with the purpose of seeing them brought to Christ. We interact with lost people for our kids to help them know Jesus. And then lastly, number three, our faithfulness in our Christian walk demands spiritual resources and supernatural support. Our faithfulness in our Christian walk. We cannot be faithful Christians without spiritual resources mentioned here in chapter 6. We cannot be faithful Christians who walk in obedience to Jesus without supernatural support that we pray for. For our kids to live like a Christian, we need the Bible and we need God's help. Things to remember, things to do now. Number one, look for ways to serve in every role that you hold. Right, don't get caught up in the, the submitting and the serving piece because we're all called to serve in every role that we're in. For our kids, serve your parents, serve your teachers, serve your coaches. Whatever role you find yourself in, you have a role to serve somebody in that role. Even as you work your way up into leadership, as a principal, I try every, every day, every week to serve the teachers that are underneath me. I don't lord it over them. Right? I don't boss them around. I find ways, as many ways as I can, to serve them and to love them because I've found, as Scripture teaches, that that's the best way to motivate other people in their jobs. To love and to serve and to set an example because what do I want them to do? I want them to love and to serve our students. I want them to love and serve our parents. The best ways for them to learn that is to see that modeled by me as I seek to love and serve them. For our kids, man, you have a responsibility to serve your parents, to serve your siblings, to serve your teachers, to serve your coaches. And I would love for kids coming out of our church to be the, the, the trendsetters for your schools. That, that kids that are coming from Sovereign Hope are leading the way in what it looks like to serve other people. Number two, take a stand against the darkness by being different from it while also trying to change it. Take a stand against the darkness by being different from it while also trying to change it. For our kids, instead of participating with others who are doing wrong, help them see why it is wrong. And I don't care if you're homeschooled, if you go to Trinity, if you go to a public school, 
all of our kids are at some point around people who are doing the wrong thing. We can't isolate them from that. No matter what, no matter what educational choice we pursue, our kids are going to find themselves around kids at some point who do the wrong thing. May it be that our kids would interact with those kids in such a way where they do not participate in it, but they bring light to the situation and helping those other kids know, this is why I'm not going to participate in it, and this is why it's wrong. And to help lead those kids into change as well. And number three, be filled with the Spirit in a way that spills out in your worship. Pursue a deeper knowledge of God's truths and be praying always. Be filled with the Spirit in a way that spills out in your worship. Pursue a deeper knowledge of God's truths and be praying always. For our kids, study the Bible as much as you can at this age and pray too. I've told our fourth graders all the way up to our eighth graders the same thing. That my desire is that they would be invested in reading and studying God's word as much as they are capable of doing at that age that they're at. Look, I realize that a fourth grader can't study the Bible in the same way that I do on a Saturday morning getting ready for this morning. I realize that. But I also believe that the Bible is understandable in such a way that a fourth grader who is a believer can read and study the Bible at a fourth grader's level. And I believe we can help them in that. So as parents, I believe part of that uh, challenge in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, is that we're to lead them in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord to teach our kids how to study the Bible at an early age, right? At, a, at, a, at an age-appropriate level that they can read and comprehend and know the things of God. Why? Because they're not going to be faithful in their walk if they're not in God's Word, right? It's not that being in God's Word becomes necessary when you get to be 18 or 21 or when you get married, To be a Christian who walks faithfully, you have to be in God's word, regardless of the age that you're at. We're in the midst of a battle. We want to put on the armor of God. Well, we're finishing the book of Ephesians today. We've seen application points for these last two, uh, or these last two chapters, but I want to give you these two thoughts to close with today before we partake of the Lord's Supper. In summarizing what we've looked at over this past year in Ephesians, Two big things for you to remember. Number one is that I'm the intentional object of God's love and the intentional recipient of his blessings, which gives me an unshakable identity in Christ. We've seen this whole concept of being chosen uh, through the the, uh, sovereignty of God for salvation. Before the foundation of the world, uh, being an object of his love, we are the intentional objects of his love. We're the intentional recipients of his blessings. Going back to chapter one, all these spiritual blessings that have been given to us all equally, no matter what background we come from, no matter who our parents are, no matter what country we live in, we all have equal spiritual blessings given to us, which gives us an unshakable identity in Christ. For our kids, I am who Jesus says I am and not what this world says, right? This world is trying to funnel to our kids Uh, an understanding of who they are and really empowering them to define who they think they are, right? The kid gets to choose who they think they are. The Bible says who we are, right? And that doesn't change. We have an unshakable identity in Christ because we are his objects of love and the recipients of his blessings. And then lastly, I'm a part of God's family, the church, and I'm to bring intentional service to others with my unique background and giftings. I'm a part of God's family, and I'm to bring intentional service to others with my unique background and giftings. We talked about this in Ephesians. We don't lose our identity 
when we become a Christian. We maintain our individuality, right? He's gifted us, and we are unique and different, and we're to bring those unique aspects of who we are and the giftings that we have to further enhance the kingdom. For our kids, you are an important part of this church, right? Especially those who have made proclamations and and confessions of faith because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You're not just an attender of this church. You are a member of this church, not just because your parents are, but because you are a part of the body of Christ because you have followed Jesus yourself. You've made that decision, right? So the earliest, the youngest Christians in our church, these kids who have made professions of faith that we've baptized within the last several years, they have giftings, right? The Holy Spirit lives inside of them. And they can come with the purpose and the intent of serving other kids here. Right? Loving other kids here, loving them and serving them to Jesus. And you're an important part of this church. Whatever age you are in this church, you're an important part. Not because I say it, because God's word says it. The book of Ephesians tells us that. It's part of their identity as a child, is to be a child of God in this church. We're thankful for them. Man, I feel like we I feel like it went quickly, Ephesians. Um I'm excited about where we're headed next. Uh, I shared with you a couple weeks ago that our plan is to now move into the book of Psalms. There's obviously 150 of them, so we're not going to stay there for all 150. Our plan is to maybe spend the next 15, 20 weeks uh, working through um, a selection of Psalms. Then we'll go to a different section of Scripture, and then eventually we'll make our way back to Psalms, and we'll spend another 15 to 20 weeks there and cover ones that we haven't looked at previously. And we'll kind of do that over the next several years. We'll keep coming back to Psalms uh, for a period of time, but we won't camp out there because we would certainly be there for a really long time if we tried to cover all 150 in our next study. But really excited about how we're going to be able to look and see, I think, kind of flowing out of what we saw here in Ephesians, this idea of speaking to one another in Psalms. There's so much good content in those songs and poems, and we're, so we're going to draw that out to see better who God is the love that he has for us, and how we can encourage each other uh, with those words as well. So really excited about that. And then as we did this time last year, uh, you're going to be able to hear from uh, Adam and Tyson and Marcus in the coming weeks as well. So they're going to be sharing the load as we work through um, our sermon series on the book of Psalms. And so we're going to be going like every other week. So I'll preach, and then one of them's going to preach, and then I'll preach, and then one of them's going to preach, and and so on. And so they're going to help shoulder the load as we move into this next study. So really excited about that and what God's going to teach us. We'll share with you more next week about how that's going to look. As we wrap up our time today, as we always do for Application Sunday, we want to end in a way of worship as we reflect upon what Christ has done for us and we continue to express our commitment to him by partaking of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we get those instructions from Paul as a church about why we do this. It's in response to what Jesus did with his disciples before he left and before he went to the cross. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
There's a lot of different ways to do the Lord's Supper as far as frequency. Some, some churches do it every week. Some churches do it uh, every quarter. Uh, we chose to do it the way that we do it early on in our church's history because we wanted to tie it directly to the application piece of God's Word, that um, we are doing this today in response to what we've been hearing in God's Word, and it's a visible sign to everybody that's here today that we are saying yes to the things of God once again, right? The Lord's Supper is for those who have made a profession of faith, those who are believers, um, and by partaking of this, we are, we are once again communicating that, that we're followers of Christ. And being a follower of Christ means saying yes to Jesus. Yes to him. Yes to his work. Yes to his forgiveness. Um, and yes to our desire to be obedient to him. And so the Lord's Supper pictures the gospel for us. And so it's a picture to those who aren't yet believers that are with us today. Uh, what it is we truly believe. And we believe that that bread represents the body of Christ. His perfect life that he lived for us that perfect life that was then sacrificed on the cross, and that's represented through the juice, the blood that was shed on our behalf. The forgiveness of sins that we needed uh, has been earned by Christ on our behalf, and so we, we express that today in, a matter, in an attitude of thanksgiving. Um, and as Paul tells us, we partake of this um, in response to what Jesus has told us to do, and that's that we do it until he comes back. And so we do it with a longing spirit that we want Jesus to come back. We want him to come soon. Um, and until he does, we will continue to love him with a love incorruptible, as we've been called to here in the book of Ephesians. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to partake. We've got uh, the elements outside. If you didn't pick one up on the table, you're welcome to dismiss yourself to grab one of those. Um, obviously, a lot of our musicians are out today, and so um, as a means of time of reflection, I think we've got some music to maybe play. Is that correct? During that time. So we're going to have some music playing during that time. I encourage you to um, to pray um, privately, pray individually um, before partaking as well. And, and then Adam's going to come and close our service out at the end um, once you've had some time to do that. But let me encourage you once again, um, in, in partaking of the Lord's Supper here at, at this church, we strongly believe that this does not save you, um, nor does it contribute to your salvation. It is simply an act of obedience um, and a public testimony um, of God's glory in your life. And so, um, we do ask that those that are believers partake, those who have not yet made a profession, we would ask them to refrain. Um, but whether you're a member of our church or not, you're encouraged to partake if you're a believer, because while you may not yet be a member of this church, you are a, certainly a member of the global church, and that certainly includes you in participation of the Lord's Supper. So we encourage you to do that um, today as well. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to invite you to worship by partaking in the Lord's Supper. Father, we love you, and we thank you for all that we've learned in the book of Ephesians. Um, Lord, we are thankful that our identity rests in you, um, that we are who we are because you have given that to us. We're the objects of your love. We're the recipients of your blessings. But you haven't just done that to us individually. You've done that to us corporately as your family, as your body, as the church. And so we thank you for what you've done for us, but we thank you for including us in your greater plan of rescuing a people back to love you, to worship you, to serve you for all eternity. God, I pray for those that aren't believers yet that are here in our midst, um, people who haven't made a profession yet of faith. I pray that you'd bring them to that knowledge, break them of their, their pride, help them to see their sin, help them to see their rebellion, help them to see their need for a Savior, help them to see that every time they have disobeyed a, an authority figure placed over them, they have disobeyed you, and that there's not a thing they could ever do to atone for it. 
God, help them to turn their eyes to Jesus, who is the ultimate sacrifice, who lived a perfect life, who died a sacrificial death, who came back from the dead three days later with the promise of eternal life when he returns. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We long for him to come back for us. Lord, as we worship you today, I pray that you'd be honored in our acknowledgement of the work of Christ in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.